0: Show number 150 of Look at His Butt. LT and JK still talking Trek. I'm so sad about our blog. I'd like to start this show with an apology. (laughs) Um, Those of you who listen to this show and visit the blog may have noticed that the blog has a completely different look. And um, that was by accident, but I'm going to pretend like I meant to do that. I'm going to be like a cat and go, I totally meant to do that. That was an accident. I did that on purpose. Um, I was attempting to do some editing, and for some reason, I still don't really know how I did this. I made our blog template go away. So I had to build one from scratch. (laughs) They don't provide those? (laughs) They provide some templates, but you have to do a lot of configuring to get them to look the way you want to. So I'm still messing around with it getting it to look the way i wanted to but i actually think i made a few improvements and i added some stuff that we didn't have before so it's better in a way oh good and and i did get bill's picture right back up at the top that was very important Uh, yes say that um i still have to have the little words coming out of his mouth that say they're still looking (laughs) at my butt (laughs) i haven't quite figured out how to do that yet but i will okay So, um, sorry about the sudden blog change, everybody. You know, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, here, let's pretend that I didn't just apologize and say all that stuff. Okay. We'll start over. You know what, everybody? I changed the blog for our (laughs) 150th show. That was what the event was.
1: I thought you were going to say, how do you you like the new look of the blog?
0: Yeah, isn't it great? I totally did that on purpose. Yeah, it's
1: beautiful. It's very sleek and (laughs) sci-fi.
0: Yeah, so there you go.
1: Well, I uh, have to. I have to mention something. I'm very proud of myself. My multitasking here, while you were apologizing, I managed to get the rope away from the dog, throw uh, it, and fix my email client.
0: Wow! Yeah, that's impressive. That's very yeah,
1: impressive. Yeah, I'm sitting here, you know, shining my fingernails that's and going, "Aren't I wonderful?" You
0: are wonderful. Well, listen, guys. Talking about the blog, um, there's a poll up at the blog. I saw. That was what I was trying to do when I broke it, was put that pole up there. <laughs> okay. um, and so I got, finally managed to get it up after all this time. And I selected the very science fiction-y background to it as well. Yes. With the yes. Little brain and stuff. So as per our discussion of the last show, um, we would l- invite you all to vote on which female Legionnaire Kirk would like the best. And then we'll see who wins.
1: So is that a legionnaire rett?
0: No, they're all just legionnaires.
1: Okay, because I noticed that um, there is one on the list who isn't a (laughs) female.
0: Well, we talked about him. Yeah, Uh, I know. (laughs) So I just wanted to, you know, have him there to round things out, so to speak. Okay. Uh, So that's the list. So everybody should go and vote and then go and get your friends to vote as well and sort of pass it around. And. We'll see where it, it ends out. I won't close that poll for a long time. We'll leave that open.
1: <laughs> Probably we'll forever. <laughs>
0: yeah, forever. So vote early and vote often. As <coughs> I say. Okay. Oh, so that was, that was exciting. That was my excitement last night was having to put the blog back together. Oh, oh. dear. So anyway, let's talk about something a little more pleasant. Okay. Um, you
1: read Bill's book. I read Bill's book. Um, the day it came out i went uh, I got my little iPad out and I went to the iTunes bookstore or whatever it 's called and downloaded uh, Shatner rules and it 's a very quick read mm-hmm. um, you could you know easily read it in, in a few hours and I downloaded the special ebook version, which cost all of two dollars more wow. and basically with the special ebook version, you can um Every now and then click something, and you hear a little bit of him reading it to you. Oh, very nice. I but, like that. But here's the thing. he, uh, They miss the best opportunity of all. Because um, it's near the beginning where he says something like, you know... Uh, you know, welcome to my book, and I want to thank you all for reading it, and uh, and greet you and welcome you or something. And it said, and for those of you listening to the audio version, I want to give you a very sexy hello. <gasps> but they didn't put the audio in of that.
0: Oh, come
1: on! I know. <sighs>
0: So we're going to have to get the audiobook version just to hear him say his sexy hello.
1: Well, or we're going to have to get somebody to, you know, send us a snippet of that who is doing the audio version. So, you know, listeners, that's your first homework for the week. Really? What a ripoff. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I read it and uh, I liked Me So Horny more <laughs> because this is... Um, it's a little self consciously uh, cute or jokey. Mm-hmm. And I think it's intentional because at the beginning he talks about that there are basically these two beings who coexist inside of him. And one is Bill, uh-huh. who he says is, you know, more like a regular fellow. And one is this character called William Shatner. Mm-hmm. And. This whole book was pretty much written by William Shatner, yeah.
0: whereas you think that me so horny was written by Bill
1: I think there's more of Bill Pope peeking through mm-hmm. um, He does okay. have some good advice though, and one of his nicest ones is you know always say yes <laughs> and he yeah. says you know saying yes has you know got me where I am you know if if you say no, then you 've shut down a road and shut down an mm-hmm. experience, and he said. You know, if uh, he said I said yes to doing this album, the transformed man, and was universally panned for it, but years and years later, mm-hmm. it led to all this this wonderful stuff. You know. Yeah, yeah. So you know, like I say, some of the advice is is fun. It is really though kind of disturbing how the only really serious topic he dwells on is George Takei.
0: Huh.
1: And you know. It, I don't know. It, it feels like a move of blatant escalation.
0: <laughs> that's, that's strange. I wonder why that's in there. Maybe, maybe his publicist told him it would help him sell more books or something.
1: Uh, maybe so. But, um, you know, he says basically one of the things you and I have said, which is, okay, Bill was the star of the show. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not his fault that the rest of them didn't have bigger roles you know Uh but he he does kind of rant on about George a little and he does point out and and this is not untrue because I myself saw the interview that he did with Walter and was talking to Walter about you know that Walter was George's best man and Nichelle was the maid of honor at his wedding and he said how well do you know George and Walter said well really not that well and Bill has said he thought that was you know, like a, a a stunt to get more publicity mm. for the wedding, which is what I thought too. And Walter said, "Yeah, I think he used me."
0: Really? Yes,
1: in the in the uh, the raw nerve interview.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's very interesting.
1: So you know, there are interesting parts where he talks about uh, raw nerve and aftermath. His uh, his reason, There are some very interesting parts to the book. I'm not saying don't read it, but he talks about his reasons for doing aftermath, mm-hmm. which are. Um, he says when his his wife Noreen died, you know, drowned mm-hmm. in their pool, and how for um, a very short time he was a person of interest to the police. Yeah. But he remained a person of interest for a much longer time to the tabloids.
0: Yes, I know. It was ridiculous the things yes. that they were publishing. Yes. And he
1: talks about that and how. He was um, contacted by one of them saying, we're going to to publish this article, which will basically pretty much say that you most likely are the killer of your wife. Uh And, uh, you know, do you want any input into this? Which is how Bill ended up telling his side of the story to them, Mm -hmm. just to kind of keep things balanced. But what he points out is that the way newspapers sell and media and everything is something like William Shatner probably killed his wife is a huge headline, and then weeks or months later, no, he didn't, (laughs) is either not there at all or it's on the back page in two-point print.
0: Right, exactly. And
1: he said he wanted to talk to people who, you know, not necessarily have been exonerated because certainly Bernard gets has not been exonerated, but he wanted to talk to people about what their lives were like after this, this strange, unexpected brush with fame that some of them encountered. And that was his, um, his reason for wanting to do Aftermath. And he does have some interesting stories to tell, uh, particularly about how scary it was to interview Bernard Gatts.
0: What was so scary about it?
1: Well, first of all, Bernard Getz admitted that he um, he illegally owns a handgun. Still? Yeah. Okay. And uh, I think he had it with him. Yeah, he had it with him. Wow. And, you know, so it's, it's weird stuff like that. Um, but uh, so, like I say, there are interesting things in it. There are some funny things in it. It's just not as rich a book if I can say that the other book was rich. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the interesting things, though, is he gives, like, more than just a shout-out, but, you know, a real thank-you pat on the back to Paul, the guy who runs his website. Oh, well, Because nice. Paul is also the one who, who <laughs> apparently makes sure that that uh, Bill has some contact, even if it's through Paul, with technology, <laughs> such as Twitter and Facebook <laughs> and, and all these things. Paul is the one who keeps keeps Bill's image out front on
0: that. Right, so when Bill has a question, he goes to Paul and he says, now what's Twitter again?
1: (laughs) Yeah, basically (laughs) that. And uh, he was saying uh, how he he gets an idea for Twitter, and he shouts it to his assistant. She's the one who does the Twittering. And she shouts back, it's too long.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now I have to ask you the most important question of all. Yes. are Are we mentioned in the book?
1: No. Oh, jeez. We are not mentioned. (sighs) He does have a section where he answers, like, five or six questions that were submitted by members of the fan club, but none of my questions were there, so Mm. who cares? Um,
0: See, we should be in the back. Like, when they have references, it's like, mm -hmm. for more information, go to this website, and they should totally have our website. Well,
1: yeah, yeah, that is very true. But, um... Yeah, and, you know, as the podcast goes on, I'm sure I'll remember other interesting or funny things <laughs> that are in the book because I totally didn't prepare for this. And if, um, if the iPad uh, reading, iReader or whatever app allows you to do this, I haven't figured out how. I have not figured out how to do, like, multiple bookmarks. Oh, okay. You know, okay. so yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't mark places for, right. for me specifically to, to address. Mm-hmm. Okay, He also Um, but he does talk about um, his day can be measured in Shatner's, you know, (laughs) how full and like the fullest is a four Shatner day.
0: (laughs) Is that one of those days where he um, rides his motorcycle and crashes it and then goes to his grandchild's birthday party covered in blood and then ends up going to the emergency room?
1: and 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 probably doing an interview and also organizing a charity horse show. Yeah, that. That's like a Four thing. Shatner day. That's a four,
0: okay. Okay, that that yeah. sounds reasonable. I can I can buy that. Yeah. yeah. Um what you said at the very beginning was was really interesting and I would like to make the same comparison and say that um the other album was a Bill album and this album, the new one, seems like a William Shatner album. Mm,
1: yes yeah uh, that
0: because ha- so much of it has been was really it seemed like bill yes you know despite some of the funny things that were in it like you know i can't get behind that and the new thing seemed just like a william shatner kind of performance piece
1: Mm-hmm. yeah yeah well that yeah and i think like i said i think the the first book had a lot more bill in it this has some bill like i said there are some some good things in the shatner rules but the it's all pretty much kind of, I don't know, silly. Mm-hmm.
0: I can see that. You know, maybe he's just getting a little more parsimonious with the bill.
1: Maybe so, yeah. F-
0: because he exposed an awful lot of bill for a while, and maybe he feels like he just needs to pull it back a bit.
1: Maybe so. That could that could be it. Yeah.
0: Well, we shall have to get a copy of the audio book in some way or the other, and get some nice excerpts of him saying interesting things and of course the sexy hello because we could just put that at the beginning of the show
1: i know i can't believe they didn't put that in the ebook i mean why would i pay two two bucks if i'm not going to get sexy hello of course that's what everybody wants but anyway when like i said when i'm um the next time i'm visiting you i'm gonna have my ipad with me and you could you know if you want sit down in an afternoon and (laughs) and you know go through it
0: that sounds good that sounds really good. Maybe we could take turns reading some of it out loud to each other. That would be fun.
1: After we get drunk.
0: Yeah, oh, definitely. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. That sounds great. Well, cool. Well, thank you for that book report. That was. It wasn't good. a
1: very good book report. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> oh, I thought it was fine. It okay. Was just fine. Um, let's keep talking about books for a minute. You want to okay. talk about Harry Potter?
1: Yes. Um, want me to go first?
0: Well, I will say that one of my uh, goals for the summer – What I did on my summer vacation was I set myself the task of watching all of the Harry Potter movies, because I hadn't seen any of them, and the Mm -hmm. newest one came out at the end of summer, Right, and also reading all the books, uh, which I did. So I feel good. I've done that now, Mm -hmm. and I never have to do it again. (laughs)
1: Okay. Well, um, my history of Harry Potter is I read the first book, Mm -hmm. and I thought it was all right. But I didn't see that it was going to go anywhere I was really that interested in. So I didn't read anymore. But I did go to all the movies. And I will confess right away that I am not a good Harry Potter fan. I'm not a Harry Potter fan. I'm not even sure why I went to the movies, except I love going to movies. And certainly I usually do like to see what's going on in fantasy-type movies. Mm -hmm. But I could never remember what happened from one to the next. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> I, you're not the only one with that problem. I was having a hard time remembering what was going on from one to the next. And okay, and I had a
1: two-year gap like between yeah, each yes. one.
0: So I was watching them like three days apart, and it was like, what <laughs> just happened? I don't <laughs> I remember know. this. So um,
1: I want to say how cheated <laughs> I felt by the ending. Especially over the course of so many years having sat through these two-hour films. And I can't imagine how somebody who who read the thousands of pages would feel if they reacted like I do. But here's my thing. Mm -hmm. For me, the thing that kind of... One of the things about Lord of the Rings that, for me, sets the bar so high Mm -hmm. on fantasy... And in my view, really good fantasy has this element of there is a price to pay. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I loved about Lord of the Rings was how it broke my heart at the end. Where they have gone through all this and done everything to, to save their world. And still the world they saved is not theirs. Because they get mm-hmm. back to the Shire and mm-hmm. it's, it's a mess yeah and they have to rebuild it and even after that's done all the elves leave middle earth maybe i should have said spoiler alert but who <laughs> doesn't know this and frodo will never be healed yeah and so he leaves and so sam probably the character most of us identified with as far as you know other than build a pony um his heart is broken mm-hmm. and i love that idea that there is a price to pay that um Even if good wins over evil, evil has had a chance to do its work and it has done things. It has done Mm -hmm. hurtful things. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying Harry Potter should have (laughs) died because I don't think that's what anybody wanted, but I honestly felt when they showed at the end, spoiler alert, him seeing his kids off to Hogwarts, like nothing had happened, I went, what? the fuck <laughs> and for me and it would have made sense with the logic they had set up of the link between him and um voldemort mm-hmm. i think that in defeating voldemort that was the triumph and the price should have been harry lost all his powers mm.
0: oh, that, that he would be was good. no
1: longer magic
0: yeah and there oh. was
1: really no place for him in that world anymore that would have been heartbreaking and appropriate and Mm -hmm. real and that's the thing as these as these stories went on they were less and less related to anything real we never saw or rarely saw them in the real world and and saw nothing of how all of this stuff that was going on might have ripples in the real world Mm -hmm. and you know Anyway, that's just my opinion. That's what I think should have happened, and I felt I, it was a cheap happily ever after ending that just made me gag.
0: I I agree with you, and that's a brilliant it's a much better ending. Your ending is better. I oh. like your ending. A oh, lot thank
1: better. you. I was sure you had thought of it too because we haven't no. talked about this yet.
0: Well, I hadn't you know, honestly, by the time I got to the end of the last book, I was just Happy to be done with it
1: <laughs> because check it, it lot, off the list. It was a lot to read those
0: books. <laughs> Hell they're yes, so big and heavy and everything, and they—they're just parts of them are so meandering. And the—the the thing that I found most irritating about the books is that um, once you get to around the fourth one, which is I think when they stopped editing her, uh, y- yeah, write I've heard whatever that. She to. Yeah, the—the um, mm-hmm. the books have moments of. I don't want to say brilliance because that's too high, but there are moments of really good writing and gripping things that happened and then a whole lot of messy boring stuff and you have to kind of wade through it and you're waiting for the really exciting part to come up and then you're like, oh yeah, this is good I like this and then it's back to the boring stuff again. Mm-hmm. So that that's uh, unevenness is a huge problem in those. Um, and then there's a whole <laughs> I agree with you that Something more should have happened to Harry. Of course, she did do one thing. She killed off one secondary character. Right. um, And (laughs) as someone cleverly put it, it was like, uh, when she thought about it, she said, well, who can I kill off? Oh, I know. I'll kill one of the ones where I have two of the same one, the twins. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like, that was the easiest choice, to pick a Uh secondary character to die because they're already twins. So, it's not like it's a real loss anyway.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So, there's, so she does that, and, and that doesn't really have much of a ripple in the story. No. Uh, it happens, and people get kind of upset about it, but it's not this sort of heart-wrenching thing, the way it is in Lord of the Rings when people die, you know, because a lot of people do die.
1: Uh, well, yes, and book. like I said, there is this absolute price for all that that they were able to accomplish, You you yeah. know um in a happily ever after it's like wow you did it you destroyed the ring and everything is restored and wonderful well no a war has been
0: fought yeah now the other thing is that bugged me about the ending um is that there is no apparently retribution <clears throat> for what the bad guys did mhm so all of the death eaters they're just still there yeah like, like Malfoy he shows up at the end and he's not in prison and it's kind of hinted that his parents aren't in prison yeah like wait wait a minute what about justice what about the, the fact that they killed people what about mm-hmm. all the bad things that they did like doesn't that count for anything yeah shouldn't, shouldn't it even be that that because maybe your family was bad and you were bad like Draco Malfoy was a bad character mm-hmm. who kind of sort of reformed at some point? That your kids shouldn't get to go to Hogwarts with everybody else? Yeah, <laughs> Shouldn't there be a rule about that? <laughs> <laughs> I would have made a rule about that. <laughs> so that that bugged me. But then the, the worst part, really, and, and this doesn't really come across in the movie as much, is after this whole confusing thing where where uh-huh. Harry lets Voldemort, or Voldemort, as he was referred to in a piece of bad fan fiction... <laughs> that, <and laughs> Oh, I meant to call him that every single time now, <laughs> Voldemort. Okay. Um, Cuz it's funnier. Um so after Voldemort kills him and then he ends up dead for a little while and he has a nice chat with Dumbledore and then he goes back, right? Yes. The whole chat with Dumbledore thing? What mm-hmm. is that about? I don't. It's it's is he dead? Is he alive? What is he doing? What's going on? There's and it's th- his choice. It's his choice, but it's this. It's like twenty pages of him and Dumbledore talking, and nothing is made any clearer by that. You know, mm-hmm. you don't find out the underlying sort of theology, if you will, um, how this stuff works, what happens when you die, why there can be ghosts, all the stuff that I'd kind of been wondering about for the first seven books. Sure, and. Like I was waiting. I'm like, okay, this is it. This is where I'm gonna get to find out what's really going on here. We're gonna get this stuff explained and talk about the afterlife and how it is that you can sort of summon people back because that happens several right, times. Right. Nothing is explained. No. It's all done in this sort of airy, like, oh, maybe this is all in your mind, but maybe it's still real and maybe magic can do certain things. It's sort and of maybe... like it's sort of like they called a time out. It was, yeah. (laughs) It was exactly like that, but yet nothing was explained. And this really, really irritated me. So it it ended on an irritating note simply because of that long scene where nothing got explained. Mm -hmm. Why was it there? And, uh, you know, I, I can't, of course you can't help but think of Lord of the Rings. And that's one of the things that makes Lord of the Rings so good is that everything is explained. Mm-hmm. Everything is logically consistent within that world that he yes. created. Yes. You know, there's no like things coming out of left field where where it's just random. Mhm. And so much in the Harry Potter books is just sort of random, which right. bugs me a lot. Yeah. <sighs> so I like your ending. It sh- that should have been the ending. I totally agree.
1: Well, I'm glad you do.
0: Yeah. Now, while we're talking about Harry Potter, let me put in a plug for something I'm reading right now, which is much better. And that's a piece of Harry Potter fanfic. Harry Potter fanfic. Fan f- yeah, that was good, wasn't it? <laughs> I like that. Let's call him that from now on. Harry we? Potter. Harry Potter. Um, and Vladimir. <laughs> <laughs> it's fanfic, but it's, it's not typical fanfic. It's called Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality. And it's very long, and it could use an editor, but that's okay. <laughs> and it's taking the premise that... Um, Harry Potter, instead of being a kid who was uh, locked under the stairs, was actually raised by um, a physics professor. And, uh, <laughs> his, and, and his foster mother was, you know, very intelligent and well-read. And they, at age 11, he's incredibly smart. He, you know, he's a prodigy, basically. And he's a skeptic. Um, and an atheist and just doesn't believe anything unless he has evidence for it. So when he finds out that he's got magic and he's going to Hogwarts, he's constantly trying to find logical scientific explanations for things. So he goes to Hogwarts, and it's just him trying to investigate things via the scientific method. And <laughs> it's great. It's so good. It's so well written. It's funny as hell. It has all kinds of jokes and and. In references to just about every science fiction show that you've ever seen and movies and stuff. It's really, really good. It's it's just what fanfic should be. Like taking an idea and building on it and creating just something that's totally different from the source material but still is the source material in many ways. Um, So I'll put in a link to it. You can get it for free on the web. Uh, You can download it even. I have it on my iPad right now, but it's just great. I love it.
1: Well, good. Um, while we're talking about books, yes. I want to pass along to um, what could be very good pieces of news about books. Oh, good. And I think I was made aware of both of them by Our Man in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. First of all, and I have plugged this numerous times on the show, but one of my absolute favorite, favorite books is Neil Gaiman's American Gods. Mm-hmm. And that is going to be a series on HBO. Yay! And they're doing, and I never read the, the books, um, the George R. R. Martin books, but they're doing such a wonderful job, at least they did, with the first season of Game of Thrones. Is that what it's called? Yes. Um, and, I, and I loved it. I'm totally hooked on that. And I have really high hopes for this. But we've got to get a campaign going to, to have Bill play Mr. Wednesday, <laughs> because that, that is my dream, dream casting of that
0: role. Um, It's amazing how, uh, you know, that kind of, that genre of television like fantasy or or that kind of science fiction just lays there for so long and and all you get are these horrible, crappy shows on the the sci-fi channel. And people are like, oh, nobody wants to see those kinds of series. And then they make a good one, and everybody's like, oh, this is great. Let's, yeah. just, let's just do it like as if they hadn't been saying it was shit for the last 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: and the other really good piece of news is there have been two books in this series so far, and I'm hoping there are going to be more. Lev Grossman, who is a writer for Time Magazine, mm-hmm. wrote a fantasy book called The Magician's and it blew me away when i read it because basically it it's it's a twist on every every fantasy ever basically because this this guy who's like a college student um ends up going to a college for magicians so it's got the harry potter thing going mm-hmm. but um he also ends up finding out that a land that he read the whole series of books about these British children who get into a magic land as a child is real. So it's got the whole Narnia thing going. Oh. But it's all very different than what he expected.
0: Oh, cool. And
1: it's it's got darkness to it. It's got humor and everything. It was good. It wasn't fantastic. The second book just came out recently, and it's called The Magician King. And it's amazing. It's the first book I read on my iPad, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not going to do any spoilers on it, but um, it had a very satisfying ending that could lead to more books or could say that was it. That's Mm -hmm. the whole adventure. And um, there is now plans. I don't think from what the article said that I read, they haven't sold it to a, a, a network or anything yet. But there are plans to film that somehow. That's great. I, I think that's that's really good because, I mean, I, I bought into it right away, you know, when I read the jacket cover thing, and he goes to, in, in these books, it's called Fillory instead of Narnia, and discovers, you know, that things are not as they should be, and I was like, I'm in. <laughs> you know, I just, I just love those things, and if they do a bang-up job on all of those, then I want them to start in on uh ggk's stuff
0: mm-hmm. yeah
1: the the fionavar tapestry yeah. and um tigana i really really loved so um anyway i'm very excited and i hope i am not going to be disappointed by any of those
0: wow well it's it's great that they're finally reaching out and doing it you know i, I wonder if The Lord of the Rings movies were really a turning point for that kind of stuff?
1: I'm thinking that they were because, first of all, they proved there's a huge audience for it. But also, Mm -hmm. these projects are the perfect outlet for their apparently undeniable need to use special effects. (laughs) (laughs) And their inability to develop stories and characters to go along with the special (laughs) effects. So these books have done all that work Mm -hmm. of character development and plot and... And twists and things that will keep the viewer watching and hooked just the way the books do. Mm-hmm. And they're for adults. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, the Tolkien books are not children's books by any means. I think no. they probably bore the socks off most kids. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it's, it's the perfect vehicle for the mindset of Hollywood right now. Mm-hmm. And if we can get them to keep doing it with HBO, who will take the time...
0: Yeah, and to, do a really to, good job. To say,
1: okay, we don't have to compress this into a three-hour movie. Mm-hmm. We can take, you know, four seasons to tell this whole story if we need to. We can take more. Mm-hmm. You know, it's whatever it needs.
0: Yeah, and, and I think that's part of it, too, is that this, you could never do that on regular commercial television. Oh, no. It would have to be on cable, and it would have to be on a, a network like HBO that really respects the artist, mm-hmm. and, and wants to, to make it a quality production. Right. Well, well, hooray. I'm
1: glad. Uh, yeah, I am very, very you know, excited about that.
0: You know, if they were going to do a new Star Trek series, they should do it on HBO. Imagine that.
1: That would... Uh, I would hope they could do it. I would hope they would get people who would understand, okay, you're really moving up now. In many ways, this is bigger than doing a movie. Yeah. And uh, so you got to raise the bar. Yeah.
0: But they could because they could do um, a shortened season, right? They wouldn't uh-huh. have to do that many episodes. That they has
1: a hi- season-long arc.
0: Right. They could hire the best writers. They could, I mean, they could just have the best kind of people working on it and not have to have it be a grind the way the other mm-hmm. series were on commercial TV where they had to turn out, you know, however many episodes are in a regular season. They wouldn't yeah. have to do it like yeah. that. They could do one one set of like 12 episodes and that would mm-hmm. be it. That would be the story arc for one season. Yeah. And then go away and come up with 12 more brilliant stories to do it. That's what they should be doing. Yes. There. We've just solved it. Amazing. Okay.
1: God. And I've just given Harry Potter a, an, an ending that... I, I don't know if I had well if I I did put in all the time watching the movies <laughs> but if I had put in all the time reading those books that sort of ending that would I think knock the air out of you because mm-hmm. it would be unexpected but it, as I say I think it would be real and it would be fair
0: mm-hmm.
1: um might have made you feel like you didn't waste your time
0: exactly and I, I
1: know d- I'm flying in the face of millions of Harry Potter fans who are so happy to see everything restored exactly as it should be but
0: wow but that you ain't know, the way
1: it works.
0: We're right and they're wrong. And people should just people should just leave it up to us to make these decisions. Because it's we that know what easy. We're doing. <laughs> it is. It absolutely is. All right, listen, let's take a little break, and let's come back and continue these very serious high-level discussions.
1: About oh, wait, but before we do, I, I would just like to uh, quote Craig Ferguson. Yes. We look forward to your letters.
0: <laughs> Space the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise, its five-year mission to
1: explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before.
0: We say it all the time, but I'll say it again. We love hearing from you. Blogging at lookathisbutt.blogspot.com Comments to lookathisbutt at gmail.com this podcast recorded on a MacBook Pro with GarageBand. So while we're on the the uh, we're on a roll, really solving problems, talking about things, coming up with better endings, um, <laughs> as as we need to do, you know, people really should be just putting us in charge of things. Yes, um, I, and I paying was, and paying us. Yeah, that would be the good thing, paying. us. Um, So I was thinking about something to do with science fiction to sort of uh, continue some of our discussion from last time. So I was listening again to Skeptics with a K with our good friend Mike Hall, and he was having a little rant about things in science fiction that make him insane. Okay,
1: hold on. Jack is putting his little paws on the keyboard. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, okay. Don't play at the keyboard. All right. Yeah, yeah. Chew on the USB. Okay. (laughs)
0: So um, he gives the example of watching a science fiction show, perhaps like Babylon 5 or something, where there's time travel or faster-than-light travel or maybe even telepathy or something. But then when they're traveling in time, they show Earth and they show humans and dinosaurs coexisting. Yes. And that's just like, okay, too much. (laughs) I can't accept this. You suck. Don't do that.
1: (laughs) I have just to tell you something. This was in like an op-ed piece years ago, and it has always stayed with me. And they're basically talking, I don't know, about the the level of stupidity in the United States. And they're saying, face it, a healthy majority believes that Adam and Eve rode dinosaurs on their way to church.
0: <laughs> well, sadly, I think that that's a true observation. I know, um, it's so pathetic.
1: So Anyway, uh, continue.
0: So anyway, so so they were just talking about, you know, what is it about... Something in science fiction or fantasy, I suppose, but more often science fiction where you accept the premise up to a point and then you just your mind rebels and you say, I can't deal with this anymore. And I, I think we've talked about that in the context of Trek. Um, and I was trying to think of, of what it is about Trek that will put me over the edge sometimes. So, on the whole, I accept the premises, right? So, mm-hmm. there's a fetter, it's the future it's a federation okay that's fine there are spaceships they go faster than light okay whatever like you need that as a plot device to be able to kind of get around the galaxy a little bit Um, and then i can accept that some aliens have more or less what we would consider magical powers that they might be stronger than humans or um, have some kind of you know mental facility that we don't have or maybe they're even like the Organians and they're not mm-hmm. really bound to physical bodies anymore okay I can deal with that but what I can't deal with is when you have a, uh, an alien race like Vulcans for example who have the uncanny ability to have a superpower that exactly matches the perilous situation that they happen to be in at that time mm-hmm. you know it's like so aliens come with plot specific powers yeah that just that pushes the credibility just beyond any point of believability, and then you're you're going okay now this sucks and I don't like it anymore. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's what does it. It's when it's the. Surprise, the surprise, the Deus ex machina. It's when something comes in at the last minute that you didn't know was there. It wasn't part of the plot, mm-hmm. and suddenly it's something that does it. And it's it's like in murder mysteries, right? Where right the the, the murderer turns out to be someone that you couldn't possibly have known all, at all because there was some crucial piece of um, information that was being withheld from you,
1: right? Or right. it was some
0: random character who you didn't know at all, mm-hmm. who just like walked into the room at the last minute. It's like, oh, here's the murderer. Yeah. So that's what bugs me about it. And I don't get quite so worked up about, you know, the dinosaurs and humans living together kind of thing. Um, I, it, it doesn't irritate me as much as things that sort of violate the integrity of a show. Okay. So what about you? What, what things push you over the edge?
1: You know, I was thinking of one just the other day oh okay this really pushed me over the edge and again we look forward to your letters because I think some of (laughs) you are going to think I'm (laughs) racist or something when I say this but I think I've said before that as a kid at the early age of seven or eight I first encountered children's books about mythology and I fell in love with it specifically the Norse mythology Mm -hmm. I absolutely adore it so I watched the movie Thor Mm -hmm. and they lost me the minute an Asian and a black showed up, <laughs> I, 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 that was sorry, very I, you know,
0: controversial. I, what? It was very controversial in uh, was you it? No, comic book fan circles. Yes. Very
1: okay. Much so. Are they Asian and black in the comic books, or is this in the movie?
0: Um, the the gatekeeper is not black, and the fighting guy isn't really black. Asian, rather, he's he's ethnically a little bit different but no he's not an Asian Okay,
1: and this is my problem and I'm going this probably did not bother 99% of the people who saw this movie but I honestly was going have a little respect for the source material
0: Well, I guess they're thinking that since the movie was really based on a comic book rather than the actual source material... Well, I don't care. They were
1: working so hard at doing everything else. You know, that the gatekeeper's name was Heimdall and, you know, that whole thing. Um, The other thing that bugged me in that, and again, I didn't have real high expectations, uh, was when they, they made this offhand remark about the fighting girl, how, you know, he had to stand by her side you know, so they could prove women could fight. And I'm going, excuse me? The Norse are the ones who invented the Valkyrie. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, maybe it was a question of I knew too much. But I think if I had even just known the words Norse mythology, <laughs> when, you know, like I say, when there was an Asian and a black guy, then I go, no, I understand this, you know, multi-ethnic thing. But... uh There comes a point, I think, where it just becomes ridiculous. It's like now they're going to, you know, whenever they do a remake of, I don't know, Robin Hood or Captain Blood or any of those, the female character, Maid Marian or whoever it was that, um, what's her name always played, uh, Olivia de Havilland Havilland, in in the Errol Flynn movies, suddenly has to to be a fighter, you know, because that's... I don't know it's 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 almost like saying men cannot be or women cannot be equal to men unless they can equal them in um weaponry skills
0: Yeah well that's it I mean it, it, that that's Why not
1: just s- make her smarter than him? I well, could go with that yes.
0: Exactly. It's because and that's that,
1: realistic.
0: That's the way the writers think. It's like, well, she's a woman, and we don't want to have her just be, um, you know, passive. So let's make her a fighter, because that's all we can really think of.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> we have severe lack of imagination, so we really can't come up with anything else. Right, right. Uh, well, I, I kind of enjoyed... I, I will say, I think that the casting of those two guys was a little bit of stunt casting. Um, and... I I like I let it go it didn't bother me that much of course I noticed it mm-hmm. but it, I it didn't didn't rub me the wrong way in the way that other things might you know what really does rub me the wrong way so this is like the personal thing that I I think I mentioned this when I saw the movie Tron um, yes. That, that the female computer programs had high heels. Yes.
1: <laughs> I like, remember you like, talking about that. What the fuck is that it? about?
0: You know, so that's a thing that really bugs me. Mm-hmm. In, in any kind of science fiction where it's set in the future or it's an alien race or something like that, why do the women have to wear high heels? Who thought that was a good idea? That's yeah. ridiculous. That makes no sense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So, and that's just me and, and i 'll point it out at every opportunity
1: well i think I think you 're right um, it 's interesting though I would love to hear from our listeners on what their their tipping point is yeah I'm on sure. these on these things um, to put it in terms of the theater <laughs> one of my professors, who was um, from Boston <laughs> was explaining to us that in uh, the greek theater thousands of years ago all death all killing took place off stage nobody ever died on stage or got killed on stage okay and the thought was that this would be i'm going to use his own words that the audience would be moved to incredulity Mm. because they would know oh obviously this actor isn't dead Right, and so that, I, I've always loved that that phrase, "move to incredulity."
0: Yeah, I like that. And yeah, like I, I, I agree.
1: It's like I've gone this far, and no, I cannot. It's like, um, it's like these movies where the villain dies, but not really, mm-hmm. and then he dies, but not really. And I swear, um, the, the there's a movie. It has John Travolta and somebody else in it. Somebody else famous, and it's called Face Off.
0: Oh, yeah. It's got your favorite actor in it, Nicolas Cage.
1: Yes, of course, of course. (laughs) Who, incidentally, has a new laughable movie coming out soon? I don't know what the name of it is, but I'm sure it's laughable. But it's like, okay, how can all that they go through not have killed one of them at some point? It turns into a Bugs Bunny cartoon.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, uh, this is the problem, because it's exactly what happens when, when things start getting that that place of incredulity then it does become a cartoon
1: oh i'll tell you the one that that moves me to incredulity every single time unless it's done as a joke is where the villain peels his face off and it's somebody else it's like it's such an incredible mask that it's totally realistic and then you peel it off, and if it's Mission Impossible, that was Tom Cruise under there. Or, you know, it's Nicolas Cage under there. Or, you know, whoever. Mm-hmm. That that one, I just don't buy for anything.
0: No, I agree. It's ridiculous that that could work. Um, so I will say one thing, uh, to bring it back to Trek for a minute. One of the things that I think really worked in the original Trek was... Um, the commitment of the actors in making things that are pretty much unbelievable actually be believable, and mm-hmm. I think Bill went a long way towards doing that. Yeah, you you, know? d-
1: you never wink at the audience.
0: No, he never he never winked at the audience, and he always kind of um, tried his best to make it something you could believe. And I think Turnabout Intruder is a good example, right? Mm-hmm. That no matter what people say. I I think that the way he chose to play that role of Captain Kirk's body being inhabited by a woman was actually pretty darn good, and took a completely unbelievable premise and actually brought some reality to it.
1: Well, and Leonard has said you know that that was one of Bill's huge strengths, as as an actor was they'd come in you know and they'd do the read through of the script and then you know some weeks they'd be like oh my god what are do we doing and Bill was just okay this is the script we've got let's. You know, actors, do your job. Do your show. You know, commit to it. And yep. and th- make it work. That's your job.
0: Yep. I think in the hands of lesser actors, a lot of those original Trek episodes would have been completely... They would have moved everyone to incredulity. Absolutely. Well,
1: and I think it was very, very wise of in the shaping of the show. I mean, I know a lot of this was, was in the script, but also in the performances, also in the whole way the whole thing was done, was they focused very heavily on the characters and on the relationship mm-hmm. of Kirk and McCoy and Spock and McCoy and Kirk and the rest of the crew and Kirk and the ship rather than working really hard to to sell us on you know that um there's a half half black half white alien and there's an it's opposite so one and 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 this whole thing because the harder they try the more it's going to become obvious to us that they're really trying too hard Mm -hmm. but you know if you if you focus on the people regardless of the situation if you can play that reality you've gone a long way
0: Mm -hmm. absolutely well this kind of uh, brings us maybe to (coughs) excuse me the next thing that we were going to talk about which was um this idea about hard science fiction and part of um in my mind, anyway, my view of hard science fiction is exactly that kind of science fiction that spends an awful lot of time trying to convince you of the reality of the, the science that spends all this time explaining to you how the ship works and how the engines work so that you'll believe it mm-hmm. and you'll be really convinced because the explanation is so good and you know, this is how this thing was invented and this is how this thing was invented at the expense of what's actually happening with the characters it's just all about you know trying to make the the impossible stuff like spending 5 pages talking about how faster than light travel happens mm mm-hmm. which to me is just not important to the story it doesn't help me with the story at all it just kind of goes okay can i skip over the technical stuff now and get to the interesting bit
1: well did you have you ever read the princess bride no oh, my God, you've got to read it. But anyway.
0: <laughs> okay, I will.
1: The, the movie is very funny. The book is much funnier. And the book has these other layers to it. And one of the layers is that what you're reading is the abridged version. Mm-hmm. And that the real version, basically, the, the author, William Goldman, is saying, this is a book that was read to him as a child. And when he got to be an adult and read it himself, he found there was all this crap that his grandfather had skipped. And it was all the boring stuff. Uh-huh. And so his grandfather had, had read him an interesting story that was within the boring stuff. And one of the most boring things that he just describes in brief is the chapter about packing. And that's all it is, is a chapter about this woman packing to go to another country. And he says, now all the scholars say this is, you know, just brilliant satire about, you know, whatever century Verona and blah, 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 blah. And he goes, it's just boring and so it's not here. And that's what I think of when they're doing that. This is about packing. <laughs> this is not moving the story forward. This is not telling me anything about the people. This is not engaging my interest in uh-huh. knowing more. It's packing.
0: Yeah, it's packing. I like that. I like the packing analogy a lot. That's really good.
1: <laughs> As opposed to padding.
0: Yeah, just packing. Just packing normal stuff um so did you did you have a little
1: quote you were going to read well it's not a quote I'm going to read because I, I can't find it but I'm going to try and <laughs> paraphrase what it is the whole reason I mean I had been sort of exposed to science fiction without knowing what it was uh-huh. but the whole reason I ever started reading it was um my roommate was taking a course in science fiction literature yeah, and I got really, really bored And one night, and I picked up one of her books, and I started reading. So I was lucky enough that the first of the stuff I read was actually pretty good, mm-hmm. okay? But one of the things that was, I don't know, sort of like a premise of this course or something, was the definition of uh, science fiction was that in in a science fiction story, the protagonist is the idea.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: okay, and I wanted to to kind of get your input on it, on, do you agree, do you disagree, how does
0: this apply to Star Trek? Hmm. I think that that's true, um, but Star Trek for me is a, is a combination of the idea plus the strong human, well, I will say human because Kirk is a human, mm-hmm. um, but it, he didn't have to be human, he could have been an alien, um. It's it's the idea plus the, the character that, that carries that idea forward, I think. So the idea is the Federation, right? Mm-hmm. That you have this organization of people exploring space. And that's good, but you couldn't just tell a story about uninteresting characters who are out there exploring space and fighting Klingons and stuff. Because that's boring, right? right. You need to have a character that engages you and that actually embodies the idea that's what it is you have to have a character that embodies the idea because the idea by itself is not enough to tell a story Mm -hmm.
1: so that's what i think okay let me throw this into the mix just the other day i read an interview with margaret atwood um author of uh the handmaid's tale oryx and crake many 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 books of many different kinds and I have been searching and searching to find that damn interview because I wanted to read the quote and I cannot find it anywhere. So again, I'm gonna have to paraphrase. But they were talking about science fiction and she is a big science fiction fan. Mm -hmm. And she got into the question of what is science fiction. And her definition, the reason I wanna read it out loud is because I think it got a little garbled in the interview or something because it almost doesn't make sense. But she was saying, um, is Star Trek science fiction? And she said, of course it is. It's got spacesuits and spaceships. And I thought, that's it? <laughs> you know, That's where you set the bar, Margaret? Uh-huh. But she was saying something about that in science fiction, it's something that Oh, she was saying um, 1984 is not science fiction because that could really happen. And she was saying, mm-hmm. and, and it has happened in some places. But in science fiction, it's stuff that couldn't happen. Hmm. That was, that was her, her definition.
0: I don't know that I agree with that. I don't know if I do either. Because, I mean, certainly when 1984 was written... There might have been a lot of people who thought that that would never happen, that could never happen, mm-hmm. and it has. I mean, she's right; that it, it certainly has happened in, in a lot of ways. And I think a lot of the science fiction that was written in the twenties and thirties, nineteen twenties and thirties, that is, yes. has certainly come to to be. Uh, some of it has come to pass mm-hmm. or has happened, but in ways that the authors didn't quite envision. So I, I don't. I
1: don't think I agree with that. I I don't either, because just like you were saying, a lot of, um, you know, the things like HGL, H.G. Wells wrote. I mean, some of that has come true. Yeah. And, you know, some of the things that were in Star Trek are now true. We have, you know, these little iPhones that have all kinds of stuff in it, and we can do all kinds of other stuff with it, and they're smaller than tricorders. We haven't got teleportation yet. We haven't got warp speed, but they're working on that stuff.
0: Yeah, we have pads, just like they did in TNT, yeah, just the Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have that. So, yeah, I I don't think that that's, that's quite right. You know, as we're talking, I was just thinking about um, Lord of the Rings again. I got it in my mind. And um, like, so Lord of the Rings I would classify as fantasy. I right? would, too. Um, but some of the same stuff holds true in fantasy. And, and of course, what is great about Lord of the Rings, uh, the trilogy, and The Hobbit, too, is that the characters embody the idea right Mm -hmm. That there's this world but the world itself isn't as interesting as what the characters are doing and when Tolkien is writing as he does in the Silmarillion just about the world Mm -hmm. in very general terms it is the most boring fucking thing
1: in the world I've always heard that I've never touched a Silmarillion for that reason
0: but it is because there's no characters. You mm-hmm. can't relate to it. You know, he, it's all this kind of grand scale, and the gods are doing this, and worlds are being creative, and the elves are going here and there. But until there are actual individual characters that you can kind of relate to and get a grasp of, it's boring. Mm-hmm. It's it's not a, it's not a story. It's not a compelling story. It's like a history. Yeah. Without without the exciting parts.
1: Yeah, I always think. Maybe the world was the reason for, to, to, to to write this story or to build this story, but the mm-hmm. characters are the reason to read it.
0: Yeah, exactly, yeah. Because creating a world is, is well and good, but unless there's something happening in that world that you want to read about, mm-hmm why are you going to read about it yeah yeah I, I, I think that that's right there's got to be there's got to be a compelling character in there somewhere yeah and I think Trek's been really good at that creating compelling characters um, and they've been lucky enough to have good actors to make those characters even more compelling and speaking
1: of good actors I just remembered something that's in Bill's book that is very very interesting
0: Oh, good. Tell me. He's talking
1: about um, how it had been so long since he had, you know, been in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he he was doing it when he was in his thirties, and then there was all the conventions and everything like that, and it all just sort of, you know, came to seem really, really silly to him. And um, so he took the, he, the the role he decided to play was being in on the joke. Okay. And he said that all seemed well and good to him until he interviewed Patrick Stewart mm-hmm. for the captains. And he realized that Patrick was as serious about playing Jean Luc mm-hmm. Picard on the Starship Enterprise as he was about playing King Lear. Mm-hmm. That it was the same job.
0: Yeah. And yeah.
1: I think Bill. I think it probably he doesn't say this in the book, so I'm I'm interpreting here. I think because we've seen the craft Bill brings to what he does and the commitment mm-hmm. that he had to to play the role of being in on the joke, forgotten that.
0: I yes, I was just going to say that. Yes, I think he forgot. and he yeah. said
1: um, that since talking to Patrick, he doesn't feel like he has to play being in on the joke or acting like okay, yeah, it was really silly, but it was a paycheck or, or, you know, anything like that, that he can be proud of that work just the way Patrick is proud of the work he did. Yeah,
0: of course. I mean, yeah. Ah, he's getting old. He forgot.
1: <laughs> well, you know, look at it. Okay, you did this 3 years stint that, you know, paid pretty well, and then your life went in the crapper for, like, ten years, and people are still wanting to talk about the thing that was your big success. And then they're starting to make fun of it and then making fun of you. It would be really hard. Now, Patrick never had to confront that sort of mockery, not on that's the level true. Bill did.
0: That is absolutely true. No, that, that's right. So, yeah. He's I He's mean, human. It's nice. He's human. And it's, it would be really nice to think that he, he can realize how good he was and how good that show was. Now, yes. you know, look, looking back on it with, with all of the years that have passed, because it it still is, and um, and sometimes it feels like I don't know that that gets lost in in a lot of Star Trek appreciation. Mm-hmm. That uh, what that I read anyway, you know, everybody talks about the idea, right? The idea of the show right. that it's the Federation and it's integrated and we're not as violent as we used to be, maybe, maybe um, that we're striving for better things. Um, and and which is all like amazing and fantastic and of course, but I, I wish people would talk a little bit more about that. That it was a really good show, that there was incredibly good writing and directing and acting, and that it it was it took the unbelievable and really made it believable. Mm-hmm. That's why that's why if it had been a crappily acted show or badly directed, it it wouldn't have done that. It wouldn't have been the thing that lasted for you know, 40 years. Right.
1: Right. Well, they made it seem possible. And that's what good science fiction does, I think. I mean, you can read a great fantasy, and certainly um, on a certain level, it does make you see possibilities of of being a a good person or, you know, a certain morality or certain standards, things like that. But really, I don't think we're going to encounter elves and dwarves and and death eaters and all those other Mm -hmm. things but good science fiction when it's populated by believable people Mm -hmm. you go yeah you know we could get out there and there's a ring world
0: yeah sure and there
1: and there are aliens like this who you know I mean like the puppeteers I think are an amazing alien creation in the in the ring world stories the Niven Mm -hmm. stories books Mm -hmm. um they're, they're, they're very complex and very intriguing and very mysterious. And, and mm-hmm. even as we, in the stories, you know, as the human race interacts with them more and more, we still don't know what they're up to. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, it makes you think, yeah, as, as, a, as, a, as a race, we may encounter things like this.
0: Yeah, and, and we should think about it ahead of time so that when it happens, we're not caught totally unprepared. right because that would be good if we were a little bit prepared just a little just a little bit speaking of um believability yes
1: i was just gonna say
0: let's move to our last item on the menu for today which is Um, um
1: a topic that people have told us they love and we don't do enough of
0: yeah so what we're gonna do is read for you just just a little snippet a little tiny snippet of some bad fan fiction now this isn't star trek fan fiction um this is, believe it or not, Transformers fan fiction.
1: And if you don't know and anything about Transformers, it's okay.
0: It doesn't matter. It sure
1: doesn't. As in, um, as in the best of bad fanfic, it transcends knowledge yeah. <laughs> or wisdom. So um,
0: <laughs> I will, I will read the little introduction. This was submitted um, by our good, good friend Helmboy, who we love unto death, who writes the funniest things ever, and uh, she found this, and she says, I am foraging in the manifolds of the Transformers and found this jewel. The characters are a Mary Sue and a badass bot named Sunstreaker, who is a twin, tremendously vain, and very short-tempered. He is also a yellow Lamborghini, who belongs to the Autobot faction. So what follows is a little scene between uh, this this woman with a, uh, a silly name, of course, because she's the Mary Sue, mm-hmm. and a yellow Lamborghini.
1: <laughs> Do you want me to start or should you? Oh,
0: why don't you start for it? Okay. Just go.
1: He opened his mouth to retaliate and then abruptly stopped. A shadow of uncertainty passed over his features. Lala, he said in a softer tone, which is what my mother's grandchildren call her. This is me, pointing that out. Lala. Do you really not like me at all? Liana hesitated. I I don't know. She turned away from him. You've done this all wrong for me. I've never had a boyfriend, much less an... Wait for it. <laughs> Autobot? Well, yeah. No reaction. Liana slowly continued. You don't see how that could bother me? He looked genuinely stumped. No, he said, with owlish innocence. <laughs> <laughs> and why don't you read Helmboy's comment and then go on.
0: She says, Sunstreaker is to innocence what Jell-O is to cardboard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now you take over. Okay. <clears throat> she couldn't bring herself to reply. Now she was faced with the prospect of explaining her feelings. She had no idea what to say about them. Not out loud, anyway. Her brain had quite a lot to say. You've acted like my boyfriend since the moment we met. I was never asked whether or not I liked you back. And I do like you. I really do. Because you're charming and maybe even sexy, if robots and cars are sexy now, in my fucked up definition of reality. But couldn't you just take me out to dinner, do it the traditional way? Or am I just boring?
1: Here's Helmboy. Okay. Sunstreaker is a 25-foot-tall Autobot
0: car...
1: That drinks his meals, a blue liquid called Energon, and has about as much use for humans as, I can't find something bold enough to match with this, (laughs) dinner, (laughs) and then there's a mercy snip.
0: (laughs) Uh, I like that. I like that phrase.
1: (laughs) Okay. So then it says, with a smile, Liana nodded. That was one thing sorted out at least. She shrugged on her jacket. I absolutely hate that phrase. And headed up the stairs, trying not to think about that pitiful look on Sunstreaker's face, or about anything but getting to her room, opening her last suitcases, and stuffing in as many bikinis as possible, none of which she intended to wear within a mile of him. And Helmboy says,
0: Take it. Oh, bikinis for a car.
1: Um, and then the homeboy says, I highlighted my comments. I wish I could tell you all the really great bad fic there is in Transformers. Um, and then she gets into what I was thinking. I truly <laughs> yeah. wonder how these girls expect to have sex with a car. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, I got to say, it, it, it had me at the first sentence where he opened his mouth. The first four words. Yeah. I'm going, cars have mouths?
0: Really, it's so funny. I also liked her sign-off comment. If you like datafic, then the Transformers is for you. <laughs>
1: so very, very true.
0: Oh man, that's so bad. Oh. So and and Leanna's name—I have to spell it for people. Yeah. It's L E I A N A. E I E I O. She's got three vowels right in the middle of her name because the author clearly thought that two wasn't enough. No, So we're going to throw a third vowel in there just to mess with your mind. Yep.
1: Oh, that was bad. Well, listen, I can hear Jack doing things he probably shouldn't be doing because he's not getting attention. So let's call this podcast to a halt, to a close.
0: Okay. Jack, the podcasting dog, has decided it's time for us to, to end this. So uh, send us your thoughts, listeners, go to the blog, vote on the poll, tell us how you like the new blog design, if you like it, um, <laughs> and what, what we might do to improve it if we felt like doing it. Uh, and, and we'll be back. A- a- this is the big show 150. We're halfway to 200, and we're going
1: to doing it. We're, we're more like- than halfway to 200.
0: Well, I meant, you know, from 100 to
1: 200. <laughs> okay, to 200. okay. That way, all right. you
0: know, halfway from 100 to 200. Okay. That's what I meant. All right, all right. Uh, okay, uh, so until next time, think about that Transformers fic and how you might have sex with a car. Yes, let us know. <laughs> okay, bye.
1: Bye.